So we'll read, uh, we'll read from Luke, uh, Luke chapter 15, starting to read uh, at verse 11. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, sorry, a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have uh, filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, uh, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough, uh, sorry, a bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father, but while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a finger on his ring and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your commands, yet you have never given me even a young goat so I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Let's just pray a moment. Lord God, I pray that you will take the words that I've prepared to make them pleasing to you. Lord, speak through me this morning, uh, I pray. And Lord, we pray that you would ask, uh, sorry, that you would meet uh, each and every one of us exactly where we are this morning, uh, and you would move us closer to where you would have us be. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The other week, I watched um, Evan Almighty. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Evan Almighty. yeah, I found, we was in a charity shop, I was donating some stuff because we've had a bit of a clear out at our house, so I was donating some stuff to the charity shop and 
as it always is the way, when you go into a charity shop, you then find more junk to take back to your house, don't you? So I found this video of, uh, or the DVD, sorry, of Evan Almighty. I thought, well, that might come in handy one day. So I'll take it home. And my daughter was asking what it was. So I sat down with my daughter. My daughter's seven. And we sat and watched uh, the film Evan Almighty. And in that, uh, it's got Morgan Freeman plays God, doesn't it? And so before we watched it, she was asking about the picture on the front. And she was like, the animals. And then she said, who's that? So I said, that's God. But then I had to, well, it's not really God. That's It's God in the film, but that's not really what God looks like. Which I shouldn't have said, because then that led to the question, well, what does God look like? And I couldn't have an answer. And I wonder... If you were asked that question, what does God look like, what would you what would you say? What does God look like? When you close your eyes, when you try and picture, what is God like? Over the years, people have had lots of different attempts at picturing God, at what God might look like. So there's obviously Morgan Freeman uh, in the films Evan Almighty. I don't think that's quite what God looks like. Maybe, though. Um, one of the more famous uh, pictures of God is the, the painting by Michelangelo um, <clears throat> on the, the roof of the Sistine Chapel there. That's a, that's a famous picture of God. And that kind of fits within a theme uh, of what God looks like, the kind of the grandfather in the sky look. So there's a few of those, I think. So there's, there's another one, that kind of sort of man with a white beard, old man, white beards in the clouds, looking down. Uh, there's that. There's also, I think there's the next one's that as well. That's the Simpsons, as they portray him. They equally, it's a man with a white beard. I don't know if you've ever seen, I, I always think God and Christians in general get quite a good... Um, pressing the Simpsons. I think they're quite, they're portrayed quite well. Um, they poke a little bit of fun, but I think generally um, in quite a nice way. So, but yeah, that's how that's how the Simpsons portray God. Again, we don't see his face. You never see God's face. You just see uh, his beard uh, whenever he's portrayed in the Simpsons. But again, it's that kind of old man, white beard. But of course, God might not be an old man with a white beard. Um, there's some artists have pictured God in other ways. Some have pictured him as a woman. And there's, <clears throat> there's a picture of God uh, as a woman. And again, I think that's, that's perhaps right. If you're a woman, maybe you want God to, to be like you. Because I don't think God is, is a man or a woman. I know we, we refer to him as he, don't we? In the Bible, he's referred to as he. But I think God is neither man nor woman. So it's appropriate, I think, that God can be portrayed in such a way. And again, there are uh, artists from around the world that have portrayed God as him. So God is not a white man. And if you come from another part of the world, it is right that God would represent you just as much as he represents me. And so God, again, is portrayed uh, by some artists in different ways. And that's right, I think. And we could, we could have a, I think, a fascinating discussion about all those images. We, I could talk for hours. I think they're, whether they're appropriate, whether they're not appropriate, which ones you like, which ones you don't like. But that's not really the theme. They were just to get you thinking about what God looks like. The, the image that I want to think about particularly today, uh, is this one. It appeared, uh, in, it appeared in a cartoon, um, in a newspaper, sorry, it was a, sorry. I'll step back from the microphone while I do that. Um, it appeared in a, in a newspaper 
um, and is a far side cartoon um, drawn by a cartoonist called Gary Larson. And it depicts God, you can see there, it depicts God sitting at his computer with his finger poised over a button which says smite. Okay? And there's a, there's a guy there walking under, under a piano. And, and this image of God, it's obviously it's meant to be a, a humorous cartoon, but I think it kind of gives us a glimpse into how people do often see God. As a God who is distant. Not necessarily sat behind a computer, but a God who is removed from his creation, who is sat at a distance watching the events unfolding before him. Also, potentially a God who is angry or who is vengeful. A God who is always on the brink of punishing or inflicting suffering upon his creation. Certainly, I think that is how God was commonly thought of in Jesus' day. As a God who needed to be appeased. A God who looked down on his creation and who shook his head in despair at what he saw going on. A God who demanded that that his people kept strict laws. And who only allowed the very best of the best to come anywhere close to him. But I don't think that that's a true picture of God. I think actually people, the people had forgotten who God was. So often, sometimes we talk about there's a kind of an Old Testament God who is this angry, vengeful God. And then there's a New Testament God who is like kind of the loving, compassionate, graceful God. That's not true. I don't think God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And in the Old Testament, God was gracious, was compassionate. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 105, it says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And not just in Psalm 145, it's a few places in the Old Testament. It says those words, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. We sang it earlier. But you see, the people in Jesus' day, the people in our day, have perhaps forgotten that aspect of Jesus' character, sorry, not of Jesus' character, of God's character. They'd forgotten his grace, his compassion, his patience, his love. We see Jesus is constantly reminding them about who God really is. You read the stories of Jesus, the things that he says, the things that he does, the people that he hangs out with. They're all designed to remind the people who God really is, what God is really like. And that is what he is doing in this parable that we just heard read. He's reminding the people what God is really like. 
Now, there's loads of things we could talk about in this parable. This is my favourite uh, story. Well, it's not actually. It's my favourite. It's my favourite parable. My favourite story is actually. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. It's in Numbers 25. I'll let you look that up for yourself. But it's got everything. I used to be a youth worker, and if you want to teach young people, it's got uh, violence, sex, um, a bit of the wrath of God. Fantastic. It's got everything you could possibly want in a story. Numbers 25. But my favourite story uh, of Jesus is this. His parable, the parable son, and so I could talk. I could talk for hours on it, but I won't do because some of you are looking worried already. Um, I won't do. As we said, we're going to focus on just that one thing: that reminding the people of what God is really like. You see, the son, when he is at rock bottom, when everybody's deserted him, when the famine has hit the land. And he's got nothing to eat and he's considering eating the pig's food. When he's at absolute rock bottom, when he decides that he's going to go home, what does he say? He doesn't say, my father is a good man, a loving dad. I know that even though I've let him down, I'm still his son and he loves me. I know that he is slow to anger and rich in love. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says to himself, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, all all the son can see is his sin. His failure. He's so, that is all encompassing. That is all he can see. He's so blinded by his sin, by his failure, that he has forgotten what his dad is like. He's forgotten the man that his dad is. And Jesus is trying to remind those who are listening, those who'd been told repeatedly that they were sinners. That they were outside of God's kingdom. That they were no good. He's trying to remind them to look past their own failings, their own fears, their own sin. And instead to focus on the nature of God. The one who is gracious and compassionate. The one who is slow to anger and rich in love. I wonder if the same is true sometimes of us. Whether we become so fixated by the fact that we have sinned, that we've done wrong, that we've fallen short of the glory of God. Whether we become so, that becomes the narrative of our walk with God, that we have sinned and we have fallen short. That we forget what God is like. My favourite book um, is a book called Messy Spirituality by a guy called Mike Iaconelli. And in that, um, he writes um, about the fact that he feels like that sometimes. He says, he says, I know that God loves me, but I'm not always convinced that God likes me. That buried somewhere in the back of my mind is this gnawing doubt that if I mess up one too many times, that God will remove his love and his forgiveness from me. 
And he goes on to say that he needs to be reminded again and again of the nature of God rather than being fixated on his own sin and his own failings. And I don't know, maybe you're sat there going, well, I don't feel like that. But when I read that, I thought that speaks to me because I do sometimes. I speak like, I think like that. I know that God loves me, but I'm not always convinced that God likes me. I kind of have this picture of God's just ready, just kind of looking down, shaking his head, going, not again, Dave. And I wonder sometimes if the problem with that is how we view sin or how we view our walk with God, more to, uh, more to the point. That I think sometimes we view our walk with God as being like on a tightrope. That we kind of, there's sin to the, to the right, sin to the left, and there's a kind of narrow path, and I've got to walk this tightrope. It's quite hard to do without a time axe, but okay, I've got to walk on this tightrope. And if I mess up, then I fall off. And we know, don't we, that God will pick us up and put us back. But then I've got to kind of keep walking this narrow tightrope. And if I mess up again, I'm going to fall off. And then God's got to pick me up again and put me back. And so then I'm walking on the tightrope and I'm going to fall off. And so then I get this picture that God's going, oh, come on, Dave, seriously, again, I've got to keep picking you up. But actually, you know what? The early church didn't have that picture of the walk with God as being a tightrope. They had it of being a dance. That God invited you into a dance with him. And you can still put your foot wrong. You can still make a wrong step in a dance. Trust me, I know. If you've ever seen me dance, there's more wrong steps than right steps. Okay? It's still possible to make a wrong step in a dance. But it doesn't end the dance. You can carry on dancing even with the wrong step. And the more you dance, the better you get. And the more in time you get, and the more in tune you get. And you still might make the odd wrong step, but it doesn't matter. It carries on. It carries on. It carries on. And you keep dancing, and you keep getting better. I wonder if that's a better picture of our walk with God, rather than viewing it as, oh no, I've got to stay on the straight and narrow, and if I mess up, God's going to have to pick me up and put me back. Instead of being invited into this this dance of joy, where yeah we'll get it wrong, but it doesn't end it. We carry on. We carry on. And so, Jesus in the parable was reminding the people, the people who'd been the outcasts, the outsiders, saying, "Remember what God is like. Remember what God is like." But they, are, they weren't the only people listening to Jesus. Jesus was also talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The ones who were saying to the outcasts, stay out. You're sinners. God doesn't want you anywhere near him. God is angry with you. Jesus is also speaking to them too. And there's a lesson for them in the parable as well. You see, the older son had stayed with his father. He hadn't forgotten what his father was like. But he just didn't like what his father was like. I said before that those lines, uh, if I find them, those lines from Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. 
They're not just in that one psalm, they're throughout the Old Testament. And they appear in the book of Jonah too. And the, old, the older son has a similar reaction to that of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 4, after, after he's been and preached to the people of Nineveh, after they've repented, after God has not destroyed the city, as he had told Jonah to go and tell them he was going to do, Jonah goes and sits under a tree, doesn't he? And gets quite angry with God. And he says this, it says this in Jonah chapter 4. It says, he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from from sending calamity. See, Jonah knew that God was gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. But he didn't like it. It was a problem for him. He wanted God to be angry with the Ninevites. He wanted God to send his punishment on that. He wanted God to despise the people that he despised. To punish the people that he thought needed to be punished. And I think the Pharisees were the same. They hadn't forgotten what God was like. They just didn't like it. And they were guilty of making God in their own image. And so the God that the Pharisees taught was angry with the people that they were angry with. He kept away those that they didn't want to associate with. And again, I wonder if sometimes that is also true for us. I wonder when you think about God getting angry, if you ever do think about God getting angry, does he get angry about the same kind of things that you get angry about? Are those that we think are outside of God's favour, those that don't think like us? Or those that don't act like us? Maybe those that don't vote like us or don't worship the same way as we do. I'm guilty of that, I think, sometimes. I catch myself sometimes thinking that everyone should worship exactly the same way that I do. They should believe exactly what I believe. That they should relate to God in the exact same way. And should live out their faith in the same way as I do. But maybe I, and maybe we, I'll say we, but certainly I, need to realise That God's kingdom is big enough for all. We need to allow God to transform us so that we can see others not as strange, not as different, but as people who are created in the image of God. Who are welcomed and loved by him unconditionally. And so may you know The abundant love of God that is given freely and unconditionally. May you see God's grace and compassion working in your failings and your brokenness. And may you allow that love and grace to transform you 
so that you too may be slow to anger and rich in love. Amen.